Good morning. My name is Gary, uh, and I hope you're as happy to be here as I am this morning. Um, I am one of the three primary gentlemen that are up here speaking. Tim is the guy that's up here most of the time. Last week, Mike was here, and I was actually up here two weeks ago. But anyway, we were talking about the 12 apostles, and we did take a break for Father's Day. And in reality, there's, as we know, we talked about Judas uh, actually hung himself, and last week, Mike talked about Matthias, who was chosen to replace him. So that makes 13, right? And today I'm going to be talking about a 14th. So the 12 is really 14, just just so you know the facts. Um, we're going to be talking about the Apostle Paul. And contrary, I think the, the, the last two guys that I've talked about up here, one was Simon uh, the Zealot. Who was the other guy I talked Who? Anyway, I talked about there's there's some of these guys, some of these, these, these apostles... We, have, we know virtually nothing about them. I talked about Thomas. And we had four quotes from Thomas. Simon the Zealot we have zero quotes from. Both of those gentlemen we have some idea of things they said. They all said they would die before disowning Jesus. Said all 12 of them did that. Said all 12 of them argued about who was the greatest. But we have virtually nothing on them and some of the others. You know, Mike talked about Matthias last week. <laughs> He wasn't even included in those general statements about arguing and about saying they're going to disown Jesus because that was just the original 12 that was there. I don't know how you talked about him. You did a good job, by the way. But today I'm going to be talking about Paul. And Paul is on the opposite end of that spectrum. Well, we probably know more about the Apostle Paul than we do about any of the other apostles. We know more about his background. We know more about what he thought. We know more about his experiences uh, fulfilling his role as an apostle. And if you're familiar with him, and there's lots of places it in, but in Philippians 3, he talks about his life as a, as a general, as a, just his whole life, and he talks about, I was born an Israelite. I was born, in fact, he declares himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. And what he means by that is, he says it, he goes, by a legalistic righteousness or righteousness according to the law, he says he was faultless. Okay, at one point during his uh, defense of himself, while he's on trial literally for his life because of his faith in Jesus and his preaching of the gospel, he says, I've lived my entire life in good conscience before God. What he's saying is there was never a time where I did not feel like I was thinking, believing, and acting in the correct way. And he, we know lots of details about it. He goes on, as most of you know, he first shows up in the Bible story in Acts chapter 7. And in Acts chapter 7, what happens is one of the uh, the servants of the church who had preached a great sermon, uh, he, in fact, he did such a great job that he got to go straight to heaven. Did you remember this? Because they killed him. Okay? Stephen was his name. And they, after he gave his sermon, he gave his, 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 his lesson... The uh, the Jews, they said they were gnashing at their teeth and they picked up rocks and they killed him. And it says, just very subtly, and they laid their coats while they were stoning him at the feet of Saul. And Saul would later become the apostle we know as Paul. And this laying their coats at his feet was symbolizing or recognizing he was the one in authority who was saying, who was authorizing, approving of the murder of this servant of God that we know as Stephen. 
And it goes on two chapters later in Acts chapter 9. It says he is breathing out murderous threats to the church. And he's got uh, authorization from, from Jerusalem and from the Jewish leaders to find these believers in Jesus, put them in prison, and even to kill them. And he's going about this task, again, pointing out, as he said later, he was doing this in completely clear conscience, believing what he was doing was honoring God, was what God wanted. But in Acts chapter 9, while he's on the road to Damascus to, to continue this work of his, He's struck by a bright light, knocked off the horse or donkey that he was riding, knocked to the ground, and he hears a voice, and it says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. And he goes on from there and becomes the author of most of the books of the New Testament. In fact, we're going to talk a little bit about this later on. But historians and critics say they point to his conversion to faith in Jesus as the single factor that kept Christianity from dying. That when a man can make that big of a turn from murdering people to becoming one who is hunted... It said a lot about what, about what faith in Jesus was all about. And the church was encouraged and lived through that. And guys, when you look at the Apostle Paul, what I came up with, guys, is you see a faithful life fulfilling God's purpose or mission for his life. Okay? He was determined. He was a man who was, who was from birth, it seems like, says, I'm going to live the way God wants me to live. Now, He was wrong about what he was doing half the time or for the first part of his life, shall we say. But that was his life. He said, I am going to serve God no matter what. I am going to fulfill his mission for my life. His purpose for my life. Look at these passages here. And the first one's in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 7. And this is what he says. And for this purpose... I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. And a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 26, in one of these scenes where he is defending himself and he's actually recounting his conversion story, he's just told his conversion story. And then in verse 19, he starts and he says, So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. Guys, purpose, the word purpose and purpose for your life and having a purpose has been a big deal in Christianity for the last few decades. It kind of gathered a lot of steam uh, back in the early 90s when a, a preacher by the name of Rick Warren wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Church. And that was for church leaders and saying, okay, this is, this is how we started this mega church and here's some things we think you should probably do too. You need to have purpose in it. And he followed that up with a book that I believe is the all-time best-selling book outside of the Bible. 
Okay, called the Purpose Driven Life. Back in the late 90s, early, early 2000s, I guess it was, 02, 03, somewhere like that it came out. And this book was so popular that at, at, at one time, President Bush and his, his cabinet were going through the book together. Okay, that's how big of a deal this was. So guys, you talk about purpose, and it's a really big deal. It's something we talk about. Before that, people were talking about, how do I find the will of God for my life? And I would guess that most of us, if we've been serious about following Jesus in any way, shape, or form, we've asked that question. It may be something simple like, how do I know what the will of God is, you know, for a high school student going to college or, or, or taking a job or somebody taking a job? You know, how do I know what the will of God, what field I should work in? Or should I stay here or should I move? All, generally, it's something very specific. But guys, what we're going to be talking about today is finding that purpose or how do you live with a purpose for the rest of your life? See, guys, because that's what the Apostle Paul is an example of. I see him a lot like Jesus in the sense that every bit of his life was focused on serving God. Every bit of it. I don't know if I find a time where he says, where it's like, you know, yeah, I just checked out for six months. I took a sabbatical. Okay. You know, I took, took a break, took a gap year. You know, I don't, I don't think you see that in Paul's life. And so the question, and guys, I'll, I'll be honest with you. That's the way we should live out our purpose for Jesus. There should be no gap. Now, there may be a gap from certain responsibilities, a break from doing certain things. But as a servant of God, we should never stop. And guys, this is what we want to look at. I, I want to live my life on purpose. And guys, I can, what I've done with these notes today is that I live my life on purpose when I, and I'm going to, we're going to talk about four things. And the first one I want to talk about is I live my life on purpose when I understand and acknowledge my rebellion. That's a harsh word, isn't it? Rebellion. I'm going to guess that some, when you heard me say that, is, I don't like that word. You see, guys, because we might, you may be even more comfor- com- uh, comfortable with sinfulness. Okay, when I understand and acknowledge my sinfulness, because that kind of puts us into a general category. You know, yeah, everybody's a sinner, right? That's what Romans says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we're, I'm in the group with everybody else. Everybody's a sinner, okay. But guys, we need to understand sinfulness is rebellion. The original sin was just Adam and Eve saying, God, we don't want to trust you. We don't want to trust your definition of good and evil. We want to choose it for ourselves. And they rebelled against God's design and God's purpose. And so, guys, this is significant because when you look at the life of Paul, this was a major factor in his life. As I told you before, guys, Paul saw even what he did before becoming a follower of Jesus as, as, as during that time, as he, he lived it, he did it in good conscience. There's two times in the Bible where you wake up and you go, boy, God set this person up. You know, God's got them, you know, you want to talk about confronted with, with bad things, where things go from bad to worse to horrific like that. 
The first one is in the Old Testament when Joseph uh, reveals himself to his brothers. His brothers had sold him into slavery 22 years prior. And they were to him looking for help now, not realizing who he was, not realizing he was still alive. And, and he, he's playing mind games with them and they think he's going to kill them. Because he set it up to make it look like some of them have stolen. And they're, and he's just testing them is all he's doing. But they're like, oh my gosh, this guy's going to kill us. And my daddy's going to die from a broken heart because his other son's going to be dead. And what's, oh my gosh. And then Joseph says, hey guys, it's me. I'm Joseph. And I can just picture these guys going, oh no. You know, a few choice words come to mind. This moment for, for the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus was very similar. Think about this. He's in good conscience. He's zealous for God. He's going and killing these followers of Jesus. And he's continuing on that. He's, he's looking behind him thinking, look at what I've done. Look at what I'm, look at what I'm gonna, looking ahead going, look at what I'm gonna do. And Jesus stops his dead in his tracks and goes, uh, hi. I'm Jesus. And you're persecuting me. And all of a sudden, guys, he's got, he's had to realize, he is confronted with, I am in rebellion to God. I am in rebellion to Jesus, right? Everything I've done, what I've good and conscious, is rebellion. Is totally the opposite of what you wanted me to be. And I just, I just, I just told you what I was going to read to you in Acts chapter 9. Um, Let's read it, shall we? It's there. Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 5. It says, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Now in 1 Timothy 1... Paul's talking about himself, and this is what he says. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who is giving me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. He would later... And we're going to look at this passage later on. He would later describe himself as the worst of sinners. And he would qualify that as to go, this, before he said, he goes, here's a trustworthy statement that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus died for sinners of whom I am the worst. I am the worst. Guys, Paul lived a life of purpose because he understood very clearly his rebellion against Jesus. Years ago, I, uh, we were at a seminar. I believe it was in Tulsa. I believe the speaker's name was Richard Rogers. And he was, had a class that was called How to Develop a Broken and Contrite Heart. Now they will tell you that most, most, uh, when you're up here talking like this and giving lessons, that 95% of what I, what you say from up here is forgotten 10 minutes after you walk out the door. So don't ask me how I remember this from the, 1980s is probably when I heard this. 
But it very stuck with me. He was talking about how to develop a broken and contrite heart. He was talking about King David after his sin with Bathsheba, his adultery and the following murders that, that was, was committed. And he, uh, Psalms 51 is David praying to God, uh, confessing and acknowledging. And he talks about having a broken and contrite heart. And as young men full of pride, we wanted to know how to have a broken and contrite heart. And I remember this point. He says, the first point he says is if you want to have a broken and contrite heart, you need to get deeply involved in sin. <laughs> yeah, he said, he said, now hopefully you can do that by looking at your past sin. You know, he wasn't trying to give anybody the authorization. Hey, go have a good time. Get deeply involved in sin. Then that's what God wants. You'll develop the heart God wants by going and having a great time. That's not, he said, no. He goes, hopefully you can do that by just looking at your past sin. And you see, guys, I believe I'm like most people where I like to minimize. At least when I was younger, you know, I'm not that bad of a guy. You know, I'm better than most people. Okay? You know, I'm not as bad as... I'm glad I didn't do that and get caught. And you see, guys, we tend to minimize. The Apostle Paul says, guys, I'm the worst. Let me tell you what I did. Guys, if we're going to do it, we have to do it. We have to be able to say that. Because none of us are small sinners. I have an old roommate of mine. He talked about when he was in college... He was at college at Eastern Illinois University, and uh, there was they were sitting around talking, telling war stories. And the campus ministry at, oh, at Eastern at that time was uh, a booming ministry, baptizing hundreds of people a year. I think they baptized 300 in one year one time while he was there. And they're sitting around talking like they do, and they they fall in to telling their old their old war stories. You know, talking about their old stories, I guess, of getting drunk, of getting high, you know, whatever. And I don't know what the context was. You know, sometimes those stories can turn into brag, you know, brag sessions. Yeah, let me tell you what I did. Other times it's, let me tell you what I did. I'm awful for what I did. I don't know which this was, but there was a gentleman in the room, another student, who didn't grow up that way. His daddy was a preacher. And he grew up and he didn't live... A sinful life. And this young man makes the comment. He says, sometimes I wish I'd have lived those things. I'd have done those things. And he's not saying I missed out on having fun that you guys did. He's saying, wow, to be able to see myself as such crud, as so sinful. And guys, the truth of the matter is we are all that sinful. And if we're going to live our lives with a purpose for God, we don't have to go wish we had done more bad things or go out and do more bad things. We need to acknowledge the severity of our rebellion against God in the sin we did commit. You see, guys, because that's what the first thing I see with the Apostle Paul. He understood, oh my gosh, how can I do anything but serve the purpose of Jesus with my life after the way I was rebellious against him. You want to live a life of purpose, guys? You have to be willing to acknowledge where you're at. You see, sadly, I think we are more like uh, this old song. How many of you, just, just curiosity, how many of you don't know who Frank Sinatra is? 
young people. Is there anybody in here who doesn't? Samantha, you know who Frank Sinatra is? You don't. I thought so. You young people there. Levi, do you know who Frank Sinatra is? You do you? You do? Can you tell me one song he sang? What? He's related to music. That's all he knows about it. Guys, one of his most famous songs. You know which one I'm going to use? I did it my way. Now let me see if I can find. I I had this up. Let me see if I got it. See, guys, because this is this is the truth. We 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 don't we don't acknowledge it, but the most of the I believe this is what guides our lives, even as Christians. Sometimes this is a struggle. And he starts out the song. He says, "This is what he says." And now the end is here, and so I face the final curtain. Okay, he's facing death. He says, my friend, I'll make it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I traveled each and every highway and more, much more. I did it. I did it my way. And he ends the song, the last word he goes, for what is a man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not. Not to say the things that he truly feels and not the words of someone who kneels. I don't know if he's talking about Christians or followers or, you know, religious people kneeling. I don't know. He goes, I'm not that. Let the record show I took all the blows and did it my way. Guys, can I be honest with you? I think that is the challenge. Rebellion is doing it my way. Okay? The Apostle Paul acknowledged that and said, that's not what I want. Jesus deserves for me to do it his way. And so, guys, if you're going to live your life on purpose, you need to acknowledge that you, the, the extent of your rebellion. The second thing, if I'm going to live a life on purpose, I need to honor God by living as his chosen instrument. Now, here's a mistake in my notes. And I say mistake. I, I found, I wish I'd have changed one word in those. And I'm, so I'm going to ask you to cross out the word living as his chosen instrument. And I'm going to ask you to write in the word identifying as his chosen instrument. Guys, you hear that term a lot these days. How do you identify or they identify as primarily among the LGBTQ community. That's where you hear it the most. But the truth of the matter is, every one of us identify ourselves in some way and in some capacity. We look at ourselves and we say, this is who I am, or or we present an image of this is who I want you to see me as. You know, the stereotypical macho, tough guy. Sometimes we use our, 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 our we, we identify as our career. You know, I am a businessman. You know, I used to routinely, when I had a, a business called Farmland Auto Glass, I was Gary from Farmland. That was my identity. I could say that on the phone and people would know who I was. Or if I could met somebody in person, I, I could say Gary from Farmland, they knew who Farmland was. There's a million ways, guys, that you can do it. Um, I, I took several years ago on my, on my, uh, my emails, you know, you can put a, a title on yourself and then signs every one of them that way. And mine was ordinary average guy. 
That's what I wanted to be. And I, I think I still embrace that. I don't want to be seen as something special or something big or something whatever. I just want to be an ordinary, average guy. Okay, there's, there's other ways, guys. Jesus is my king. I'm a follower of Jesus. Those are two terms I use now. Much more often. People ask me if I'm the owner of the car wash. I say, guilty. Because it, it, it's true. But guys, I don't want to be known as the owner. I, when I die, I want people to know me as a follower of Jesus. That's it. Follower of Jesus who happened to own car washes. Follower of Jesus who happened to be, and you fill in the blank for yourself. Guys, we all see, we identify ourselves some way. The question is, is follower of Jesus the primary way that you identify yourself? Do you identify yourself as a chosen instrument? Selected by God to be used for a very clear purpose. You see, this is what the Apostle Paul does. This is what he was told. Okay, in Acts chapter 9 and verse 15, after he was struck down, he was told to go ahead into the city and a guy was going to come by, Ananias was going to come see him and tell him what he must do. And this is a verse is where the Lord is telling Ananias what he's going to go. He says, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Chosen instrument specifically to preach, to take his word to the Gentiles. And if you look at the verse that we just looked at up in your notes in Acts chapter 26, he's, he's telling King Agrippa, I was faithful to that. He saw himself as selected by God for a purpose. And he says, that's what I'm going to do. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. You see, guys, he identified as God's chosen instrument. God identified him as his chosen instrument. And Paul embraced that identity. Okay? His only choosing was choosing to accept and embrace what God had decided. How God was choosing to identify him. You see, guys, if I choose my own identity, I'm going to represent myself. I should embrace the identity God has for me. So let's take a little bit closer look at how Paul identified himself. Number three, I'm going to live a life on purpose when I have the right motivation. It's significant that you understand the connection between identity and motivation. You are motivated by how you identify yourself. How you want yourself to be seen. That's why some of us excel greatly in our careers. Because we want to be seen as you fill in the blank. That is our motivation. See, if my identity comes from God, my life will be a worthy representation of Him. I will image Him. I will represent Him in, in my little world. If I choose my own identity, I'll represent myself. I show the world the image I want them to see, guys. An image I've chosen and an image, I'm going to guess, if we're honest, it's an image I like. Either way, it's going to motivate me. That's why I said we need to have the right motivation. Let's look at these two passages here. 
And we've already hit on this a little bit, but this digs down on this a little bit more. And it shows how Paul's identity and his rebellion motivated him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 9 and 10, this is what he says, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle. He's saying, I only call myself an apostle because Jesus said I was. I don't deserve this. I didn't ask for it. And the other guys are more important than me because I persecuted the church of God. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And this grace, His grace, to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. What is he saying, guys? I never forgot. I don't deserve to be here. And because I don't deserve to be here, I'm going to work harder than everybody else. His identity motivating him was the right motivation. In 1 Timothy 1, this is what he has to say again, talking about himself and his identity. I I told you about this earlier, but beginning in verse 15, here's what he says. He goes, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. How did Paul identify himself? The least of the apostles. Not deserving to be an apostle. The worst of sinners. The ultimate example of Jesus' immense patience. A servant of the only God. See guys, the question is, what do you, how do you see yourself? I've been accused of being critical of myself in a specific area. I'm saying, I think, I think you're too hard on yourself. You didn't do that bad of job in this area. I do not accept that. I want to understand where I've dropped the ball. I want to understand where I did not represent Jesus in my past life. Because I want to be able to represent him better. I don't want to think I'm just doing okay. I want to remember where I've dropped the ball. I want to remember where I've failed. I want to remember that I'm an undeserving servant of Jesus. Fourth thing. If I'm going to live a life on purpose, I need to see the significance of my life. See the significance of my life. Guys, this is uh, the Apostle Paul again in Philippians chapter 1. And what's going on here is he's, he's, he's old. He's sick. Okay, he's lived a rough life. And he's going, you know, I really want to go to be with Jesus. He knows he's getting closer to getting to see Jesus. He knows he's getting closer to the end of his life. And he's wrestling with, should I want 
to die. This is really what's going on. This is what he has to say. Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 26. Because for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to, if I am going on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Guys, what's he saying? He's saying, me living produces fruit for Jesus. Guys, the Apostle Paul, as I said earlier, he was he was credited with his conversion and faithful life as keeping Christianity going. I don't know if that's an over-exaggeration or not. I want to say it is because I think God could have done something else. But this is what he chose to do. This is how he did it. How significant do you think your life is? How significant... To the future is your life. How can, do you see you, you being able to touch the future and future lives by how you live today? That is a question. Guys, there is a, there's a debate that goes on in some churches. This is, some of you are not going to believe this if you've never heard it before. There's debate that goes on in some churches of whether you should support institutions like orphanages okay children's homes and the, the whole theory i'm not even gonna get into it they debate that but the bible very clearly says that religion that god considers pure and undefiable is to take care of widows and orphans in their distress orphans children without parents now, you probably don't know this name. There's probably, my wife may be the only person in this room that recognizes this, this name when I say it, but it's, it's, it's a couple from Rockford, Illinois by the name of Jim and Mary Ann Shawan. Just a couple of, uh, nobodies. He was a janitor at the schools. That's how he retired when they moved to Colorado. I don't know what he did before. No, he had some other job, factory job, I want to say. And she was, uh, just a housewife that cut hair. Had her own beauty shop, I believe, in her home. You don't know, but they were foster parents. And they had a foster child by the name of Frank, who was very excited about being in that foster home. And he would brag about his foster parents to one of his fellow students. And that fellow student, one night, they worked together. And so one Friday afternoon, they went home together. And they went home. Frank took his friend home. Now, his friend was about to be sent to a boy's home. And long story short, Jim and Marianne Shawan ended up taking Frank's friend in to live as a foster child. That foster child went on to finish high school in their house for four years. He became a Christian at church camp during those four years. He chose to go to Bible college in Lincoln, Illinois, where he met a woman from Belleville, Illinois, they ended up getting married and having three boys. And I'm the middle one of those three boys. 
I owe my existence to foster parents. Okay? Jim and Mary Ann Shallon, who the last time I saw them was in 1976, continues to touch my life. Continues to make an impact on me. Guys, those names go on and on. I could talk about my grandmother, Jessie Wilburn, who during World War III, home alone with with a, a set of twins and an older son, four years older, decides to go to church and decides to commit her, commit her life to Jesus. And that was my mom's mom. Guys, the question is, do you see the significance of what your life? Do you see the significance of decisions you make right now? You see, guys, you are serving Jesus where you are right now. And you have no idea what could happen. Guys, I just want to let you know, God has fruitful labor planned for each of his followers. And by fruitful labor, I mean you showing him to the world around us so others will choose to follow him also. I've got a video clip I want to show you here as I close out. It's, it's kind of a long video. It's from the movie Facing the Giants that came out several years ago. It's a very low-budget, Christian-based movie. It is kind of cheesy on a number of levels, okay? It is fiction. Okay, it's about a high school coach who coaches a uh, football team at a Christian school. And uh, he's preparing for something big to happen. And he's asking his players, uh, he's preparing for their first game. And uh, I'll let it go from there. Guys, I showed that video, all five and a half minutes of it, just for that last line that assistant coach said, who's next? See, we've just talked about the Apostle Paul and him living his life on purpose. And we're going to continue looking at him next week, by the way. But the question is, who's next? Who wants to look at, look at the Apostle Paul's life and say, I want to be like the Apostle Paul? I, and all I mean by that is I just want to live my life on purpose. I want to understand my rebellion. I want to acknowledge it. I want to identify the way Jesus identifies me. I want to use that as my motivation. And I want to see the impact that I can make on the world. All I do is ask you to think about it, guys. Who's next? Let's pray. Father, it is uh, amazing to look at the life of Paul. Father, it seems the same way this young man went 100 yards, or at least they made us think he went 100 yards, <laughs> with another band on his back. Father, it seems impossible to live the life that Paul lived. Father, I, I ignored, I, I forgot to read all of his, about all of his hardships, about him being shipwrecked three times about him being given the, the, the 39 lashes five times. Jesus was only given it once. About him being stoned three times and left for dead once. About spending a night and a day in the open sea. Father, the persecution that he continually faced. The thorn in the flesh that you told him you would not remove. Father, we look at all that and we go, I don't know if I want to sign up for that. You know, and it's, it's kind of, it's almost a joke. But Father, the truth of the matter is, each of us is capable of living a life of purpose the way Paul did. Father, I pray right now that that is the desire of every heart and mind in this room. That we want to fulfill the purpose that you've given us. And it's in Jesus that we ask this. Amen.